Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Do Republicans change the rules to cheat their way to power? We'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Wire there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to McClanahan Academy. You've already heard about that. But also, go to brianmcclanahan.com, click on that support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way. Or go to Spotify for podcasters. You can subscribe there. Of course, if you're watching on YouTube, you can click on the super thanks button under the video. But as always, painlessly, you can support the show by rate, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Share it around on social media. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. Comment on YouTube for the algorithm. And always send me those show requests. All right. Let's talk about this Jamel Bowie piece. So we're back to Jamel Bowie. I like commenting on Jamel Bowie. I think he's a fun uh, person to talk about. Sometimes he gets some things right. And I think he's doing it without even realizing it. But um, he still is a progressive. And let me say this about the progressives. He's going to whine about what Republicans are doing at the state level. But if the Democrats had power, they would do the exact same thing. And look, they have done these things. I mean, this is the point. So we've got this piece in the New York Times talking about how Republicans are changing the rules when it doesn't go their way at the state and local level. This is a really interesting piece. And I've talked about you know, yesterday how we have these invasions, right? Blue staters moving into red states, and it's an invasion, and they're changing the culture of those areas. So how do you stop that? Well, I mentioned that there are ways to do it, but it has to happen at the state level. You see, this goes back to the whole building blocks nature of the, of the general government, right? We have the states, which created the general government, and so the states can do things to limit the power of the general government. In fact, federalism is the most beautiful thing you can have. But then also they can limit the power of the cities and the counties to do things as well. So the states as the building blocks have complete control of the general government top and the state and local governments, the bottom. They are the fundamental leg of government. We talk about, you know, people will say, well, there's four legs of government. You hear this, even conservatives will say this. You've got the three branches, then you have a bureaucracy. This is incorrect. 
The fourth leg of government really is the states. The bureaucracy is the fifth leg, which is that fifth column, which upsets everything. That's the important thing to get out of this. There, there was a four-legged stool when the general government was created in 1788, and that was the states. So you had the three branches of government, legislative, executive, judicial, and then you throw in the states because they had their own role in everything. It's in the Constitution, right? The states can actually abolish the entire system if they choose to do so. And of course, we know because secession is not prohibited, they can leave if they choose to do so as well. But that's the original fourth leg. The fifth column is the bureaucracy. The fifth column is the deep state. It's the column, it's what the communists were supposed to be. It's the general government. This is what we have to understand. That's the real fifth column in America. The bureaucracy and the general government, the deep state. That's what's upsetting the entire system. Because if you had the legislative branch really doing what it's supposed to do, and the executive branch doing what it's supposed to do, and the and the judicial branch doing what it's supposed to do, and the states doing virtually everything else, because the other three branches are only supposed to handle commerce and defense, that's it. The Supreme Court is not supposed to be a, a pseudo-legislative branch. If they all just did their constitutional job, the states would have a lot of control over what we call the culture war issues. And I'll talk about that next week. And I've mentioned this. We talked about wokeism and other things this week. But that's the important thing to get out of it. So that fifth column, the bureaucracy, is what's upsetting the entire system. This is what Jamel Bowie doesn't like. Because the states, of course, do have tremendous control over these culture war issues. And they should. Because the states should reflect the political culture of the people that live there. Now, you can say people move in. That changes the political culture. This is true. This is what the piece was yesterday. But the states can try to make it uncomfortable for people. Let me, let me give you an example of this. Back when the issue of uh, gay marriage was on the table, right, and we had a Kentucky ruling, the people that were, that were challenging Kentucky were not from Kentucky. They had gone there simply to agitate. So if these issues were simply at the state level, which this is a state issue, I mean, Massachusetts can do what it wants, and California can do what it wants, and Alabama can do what it wants, and K Kentucky can do what it wants, on the marriage topic. It's a state issue. It always has been. This is how it was sold to the states in 1788 and 1787. But if that had been the case, and the federal, uh, federal judicial branch did not get involved where it shouldn't have gotten involved, the people that were doing this, and they move around to agitate, would have no power. They just wouldn't do it anymore. You see, by the general government usurping power from the states, it creates a climate where agitators will go in and do stuff. And if the states made it uncomfortable for people from outside areas to move in, there are some legal issues with this at times. You've got the Privileges and Immunities Clause in the Fourth Amendment. I'm sorry, the Fourth uh, Article Four of the Constitution, not the Fourth Amendment, but the Article Four of the Constitution which makes these kind of things, there are some things you can do and some things you can't do. But if they would just make it uncomfortable, then people wouldn't do these things. People from blue states may not move in as large numbers. I mean, that may not happen, right? So the states get to determine who can vote in their elections. They get to determine who's a citizen of the state, how they're citizens of the state and everything else. They can do these things. That is open. Right? So they can make it very difficult for people moving in from other states to be a citizen of that state. So in other words, let's say you had a state 
red state with small little towns and people there. And you had all these blue people move in. We'll talk, let's say it's South Carolina, which is going through this right now. South Carolina, and I do have people in South Carolina listen to this podcast, and legislators in South Carolina listen to this podcast. South Carolina could change citizenship requirements to where you have to live in the state for, say, 10 to 14 years before you can be a citizen of that state. Now, for them, they would look at this as a loss of income tax revenue. But the important thing to note about that, you have to physically live there for 10 to 14 years. Now, if you have a house there, if it's a second house, well, you're not going to vote there anyways. You're still going to absentee ballot wherever you are living. But if it's your primary residence and you can't be a citizen of that state for 10 to 14 years, then you can't vote in state and local elections for 10 to 14 years. You can't do any of that. You could vote in federal elections. That's something you could do. But you couldn't vote in state and local elections. 10 to 14 years. You see? So they could, because you're not a citizen of that state. You're still a citizen in their mind of California. So that person, let's say they moved from South, to South, or let's say New York. Let's say they moved to South Carolina from New York or South Carolina from you know Michigan, whatever it is. They moved to the coast there. They would still have to vote absentee in Michigan elections from South Carolina for 10 to 14 years. They could still vote in Federal elections, I guess using their Michigan, because they're still citizens of Michigan. They're not citizens of South Carolina. 10 to 14 years. And all you've done there, they still have to pay property taxes and everything else and local sales taxes and all that. You're just not getting their income tax revenue anymore. But they would still be... And so let's say they're moving to South Carolina because they think it's going to be a tax haven to become a citizen of that state. It's cheaper than living in New York and New Jersey in South Carolina. But South Carolina says, no, no. You're not a citizen of the state for 14 years. You still have to pay taxes in New Jersey and New York. Well, then they're not going to come down there. They're going to go somewhere else. Maybe they go to Florida. But if all these states did this kind of stuff, well, you can make it very difficult for these people to do these kind of things because they're not going to they're not going to get the tax benefits for over a decade. They just won't get it. The states get to determine how long it takes you to be a citizen of that state. They could say, you know, you're not a citizen of the state for this amount of time. Therefore, you have to pay. Now, you would have to pay some tax, right? If, if, for example, in Alabama, even if you're not a citizen and you worked in that state, you still pay the taxes, even if you're not a citizen. And then you'd still have to pay the taxes where you're a citizen, which is the funny thing, right? So you could you could make it more difficult for these people to do these kind of things. But that would be something Jamel Bowie would be very upset about. Because you see, he says Republicans just changed the rules. So let's get into this. He says, when Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor and United States United Nations ambassador, excuse me, announced her campaign for the Republican presidential nomination in February, she remarked that the Republican Party had lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight presidential elections. That, she said, has to change. So what she's doing is saying, well, we've lost the popular vote. We're not winning in presidential elections. We've got to somehow capture more people. So we win presidential elections. Now, the whole the point of the popular vote is irrelevant. Right Now, if we get the National Popular Vote Initiative, it won't be anymore. But the popular vote really is irrelevant. And think about that. California has these crushing majorities for whoever the Democrat is. That skews the popular vote in favor of, of the left because of those big majorities in California. But it's closer everywhere else. So who cares about the popular vote? This is a stupid argument because Nikki Haley really is stupid. But... That's the argument being made. 
Her fellow Republicans appear to disagree. Good, because they should. Across the country, Republican office holders and activists have abandoned any pretense of trying to win over a majority of voters. That's not true. They try to win them over in the states where they can, but they don't need to win California. Think about that. They don't need it. Now, I mean, you do need to get 270 electoral college votes, so you have to be able to pick off enough states to do it. So in those states where they're hotly contested, say a state like Ohio or a state like Florida, which is more and more red than purple, or even in some cases a state like Georgia. I mean, there are some situations, North Carolina, where you've got a little closer because why? The invaders, right? They come and they move there and they vote like they're from instead of voting where they go to. Last week, for example, Cleta Mitchell, a top Republican lawyer, strategist, and fundraiser, told donors to the Republican National Committee that conservatives had to limit voting on college campuses and tighten rules for voter registration, mail-in ballots. Well, we know, right? This, is, this has to go back to the 2020 election. We know there are some things being done that weren't illegal, but highly irregular. And we know, well, I mean, you could even make a case that in Pennsylvania, where they, a judge essentially changed the rules that didn't currently, you know, it didn't come from the legislature. I mean, these are things that you could start thinking about, well, did they really follow all the rules, right? But we know there are some things that were legal, but irregular, or at least a little shady. Ballot harvesting is not illegal, but we know that sometimes that's done in a little shady way. So to, to tighten voter registration and mail-in ballot, and, and look, the big issue in all of this is not being mentioned. We need a voting day, not a voting month or a vote, voting half year. We don't, need, we don't need six months to vote. You need one day. Everybody goes and votes on that one day to your voting precinct, and that's what you do. And you only get to mail in your vote if you are out of state or you are completely disabled. You can't get there. Those are the only people that should be able to mail, mail in a vote. No one else. Everyone else has to go vote in person. And there should be voter ID. All these things should be restricted. Only then, she said, could Republicans level the playing field for the 2024 presidential election. The left has manipulated the electoral systems to favor one side there, she said in her presentation. Our constitutional republic survival is at stake. Now, of course, we use this term constitutional republic. It's a stupid term. It's a federal republic. Everyone's thinking of the center. This is all a byproduct of Lincolnian nationalism. And of course, Bowie is going to point out how Republicans at the state level are trying to do things, which they can do, by the way, because the states have all the power. They can do these things to maintain control of state legislatures. Republican Party's hostility to popular government is most apparent on issues where the majority stands sharply opposed to conservative orthodoxy. Rather than try to persuade voters or compromise on legislation, much of the Republican Party has made a, con a conscious decision to insulate itself as much as possible from voters and popular discontent. Well, look, the only reason Bowie is complaining is because, well, he thinks he's got the majority on his side, that tyranny of the majority. He's calling this tyranny of the minority, right? But really, it's tyranny of the majority. So the Republicans, um, you know, he's saying, well, we oppose popular government. What was the most important thing about the Constitution, and the founding generation mentioned it, it was to limit democracy. Now, at the state level, you can still do this stuff. Democracy still holds sway there. But the states, again, can do all kinds of things to try to make it 
much more difficult for people to, uh, uh, for the left, for example, to win. They can do that legally. Now, this is new, of course. The first major wave of Republican voter restrictions landed in 2011 after the previous year's Tea Party-driven election. Voter restrictions. No one's saying you can't vote. This is the funniest thing about it. They call it voter restrictions when um, everyone over 18 can vote. There's no voter restrictions. They're not saying you can't vote. That would be a voter restriction. See, we've changed the entire language. Voter restriction would mean you cannot vote. There's no voter restrictions out there. If they're limiting access to mail-in ballots, they're trying to prohibit cheating. This is something that Democrats used to advocate. If they're restricting access to same-day voter registration, all this kind of stuff, where you could open the door to cheating, well, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it a fair and free election, but fair election where everyone has to actually be counted properly and not uh, clandestinely. The Supreme Court unraveled a key section of the Voting Rights Act two years later in Shelby County v. Holder, and it has been more than 10 years since Republicans in Wisconsin gerrymandered themselves into an almost impenetrable legislative majority. Well, they can do that. I mean, and gerrymandering, we've got to remember where gerrymandering comes from. It comes from Elbridge Gerry, it's actually the proper way to pronounce it, but Elbridge Gerry of Massachusetts. This just goes back all the way back to the founding generation. They were doing the exact same thing. To say this is an innovation is a ridiculous assertion. There's still room for innovation, however. This is not innovation. In the past year, Republicans have opened fronts in the war for minority rule. What an odd endorsement of Republicans. In a way that allows the minority to have protection from the tyranny of the majority. This is what conservatives should always be doing. This is Calhounian, right? You always want to protect the minority. And in some cases, now we're looking at, as Calhoun's time, political minorities. Bowie doesn't like the political minority end. He doesn't mind the racial minority or the economic minority or whatever it is. But when you get to a political minority, no, no, no. You can't have that. You can't have political minorities have any kind of protection. One element in these campaigns, an aggressive battle to limit the reach of referendum process, stands out in particular. Wherever possible, Republicans hope to raise the threshold for winning a ballot initiative from a majority to a supermajority, or where such a threshold already exists, add other hurdles to passage. It's an abrupt change from earlier decades when Republicans use referendums to build support and enthusiasm among their voters on both social and economic issues. So direct democracy, re referendum is a direct democracy technique that came out in the progressive era. And it's always been questionable, though, I mean, yeah, people have used it, but a supermajority? Fantastic. We should have a supermajority for just about anything. If we had a supermajority for Congress to pass anything, guess what wouldn't happen? Not a whole lot of stuff would get passed in Congress, which would not be a bad thing. The initiative and referendum process were envisioned at the turn of the 20th century to circumvent an unrepresentative and recalcitrant legislature. And in the years since the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, voters have used both to do exactly that. As my newsroom colleague Kate Zernicki and Michael Wines noted on Sunday, voters pushed back decisively after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last year, approving ballot measures that established or upheld abortion rights in all six states where they appeared. In the face of public opposition to their unpopular views on abortion, Republicans had three choices. 
Make the case to voters that tough abortion restrictions were worthwhile, com compromise and bend to public opinion, or change the rules so that their opponents could not protect abortion rights against the will of a legislature that wants to ban the procedure. You know where this is going. So, yes, we did have situations in ballot states where these things were used. And I look, Republicans say we have to be careful on this issue, that they don't get themselves booted out of office at the state and local level because they're not doing what the voters really want them to do. But the recourse there, of course, is to just elect new people. So you get those people out at the state and local level. Ahead of an effort to enshrine abortion rights into the state constitution with a ballot measure that would go to voters in a November general election, Ohio Republicans are advancing a ballot measure that would raise the threshold for passing such a measure to 60%. If they get their way, the measure could go to voters in an August special election. Previously, Ohio Republicans had opposed August special elections. This new rule requiring a supermajority would take only a simple majority to pass. A supermajority, 60%, really isn't a supermajority. It's just a little higher threshold. A supermajority really be like 75%, three-quarters. That's really a supermajority. This is what Calhoun was looking at. In fact, Calhoun was looking for almost unanimous consent for just about anything. In the wake of successful ballot initiatives to adopt Medicaid expansion and legalize recreational marijuana, which passed in 2020 and 2022, Missouri Republicans also want to create a new supermajority requirement for ballot measures. One proposal would require 60% of the vote. The other two require a two-thirds vote. Another related proposal will require any ballot initiative to receive a majority of the vote in half of Missouri's 34 state Senate districts, most of which are sparsely populated. It would create, in essence, an electoral college for ballot initiatives. That sounds like a really great idea. Let's have, and of course, the Supreme Court knocked down some of this, the one man, one vote rule, or one person, one vote rule. Because the counties used to be like a Senate, where each county was represented, and then you had the popular vote, but... Now we just have just essentially mass elections for senators and representatives. There's almost no point in having two branches of government in your states anymore. If we can't have a Senate that really functions as a Senate, which would be a check on the House because it's much more restrictive in who's there. Right? So this is, we have a real fundamental structural problem because of, by the way, the Supreme Court. Republicans in Florida want to raise their state's threshold for amending the Constitution through ballot initiative from 60% of the vote to nearly 67%. Again, I'm all for this, right? To have a supermajority is a good thing. And after voters in Arkansas rejected a ballot measure to put new restrictions on future ballot measures, Republicans under Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders simply passed the changes to the law into law using the legislature to do what they could not accomplish with the ballot measure. So Bowie says there's a point to be made here about supermajority thresholds for lawmaking, whether it's in or outside the legislature. The common defense of the supermajority threshold is that it is a tool to build or encourage consensus. Well, this is true. It will build and encourage consensus. But, Bowie says, wait, Alexander Hamilton was against this. Alexander Hamilton observed of the Articles of Confederation, which demanded consensus, even unanimity, for the Confederation Congress to take action, quote, to give a minority a negative upon the majority, which is always the case where more, where more than a majority is re requisite for to a decision, is in its tendency to subject the sense of the greater number to the lesser. In other words, a supermajority requirement is more akin to a minority veto than it is a technique for the promotion of consensus. Exactly. There should be a minority veto. Look, the point of government 
at its core is to protect the minority from the majority. It doesn't matter what minority you're talking about here. Now, if this was an issue when it came to, say, race, would Bowie be so upset about this? If there was a racial minority that could protect itself from the majority, would Bowie be okay with that? I mean, let's say the ballot initiative, well, let's, let's say it's 1955, right? 1953, we'll go back to 1953. And somehow we had supermajorities in place. It would have required a supermajority to, to have, uh, you know, Jim Crow legislation in any state. Now, maybe you would have gotten that in some states, but there would have been other states where the minority possibly could have blocked this, right? So wouldn't that have been good? Wouldn't a buoy said, well, that's a good thing. But it's only a bad thing when it's going against things he doesn't like, right? The things he likes getting blocked, he is not in favor of that. But it was things he liked, he'd be okay with the minority having a veto. You see, once you go down this path, and I remember having a conversation years ago, this is 20 plus years ago, on issues of, he was a leftist, on issues of minority government. I said, look, the point is to have minority veto. And he said, oh, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. I said, so am I, right? Because political minorities are also a minority, and they should be protected. Economic minorities, whether it's rich people or poor people, should be protected. They should be protected. Your property should be protected. That's one of the points of government. If you're if you're a person with property, you shouldn't have your property taken at the whim of a simple majority of people who want to take your stuff. That's tyranny. So supermajority is a good thing. He says there are times and circumstances where demanding a supermajority makes sense, but the Republican opponents of majority rule for ballot initiatives aren't thinking about the best way to structure direct lawmaking by the public. They're thinking about the best way to keep voters from stopping their efforts to ban abortion or to legalize marijuana, or to give health insurance to working people, as if all power belongs to them and not, say, the people. So this is a you know an argument where he's saying, well, these are things that are good for the people, and uh, the other people, they're, 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 these things are bad. Well, maybe, I mean, maybe the people are misguided. I mean, look, democracy was something that the founding generation was very suspicious of. Maybe there is some misguided thing to this, right? Maybe it's actually in the public benefit to have these things. Now, think about where he's, he's, at, he's talking about here. We're a minority, right? Let's take the a moral issue like abortion, where you know a minority can make sure that if, if they want to have these things regulated, restricted, whatever it is. And one of the arguments these people make, of course, is abolition. Well, the abolitionists were a minority. Would you have been against an abolitionist having a negative on, say, you know, a slave holding situation? So when you talk about moral legislation, I mean, this is where you get into these issues and Again, it's just because Bowie doesn't like what the side who's advocating this. But if you flip it around, he'd be for, perfectly for it. If if uh, there was a minority that could ensure that there was access to these things, well, then he would be perfectly for that. You see, this, this is the point. He says, as a unit of governance, a state legislature is both unusually powerful with broad discretion over large areas of public policy and unusually open to partisan and ideological capture through luck, timing, and open manipulation of the rules. Part of the political story of the past decade and further back still is how the Republican Party and the conservative movement have used these facts to their advantage. Oh, yes. Republicans, I mean, if you if you read Jamel Bowie, you think Republicans are the smartest people in the, in the game. But really, they're the dumbest. 
If, if they were very smart, you wouldn't have seen Stacey Abrams even get a vote in Georgia. And what I mean by that is they opened the door to uh, all the trickery used by the Democrats in 2020 in the state of Georgia. They, they agreed to it all. The Democrats out-hustled the Republicans. That's why Raphael Warnock won in his special election seat. Not, not the last time against Herschel Walker when Walker was just a bad candidate. But it's why Warnock won originally. Because they opened the door to it all. Stacey Abrams got close because of it. Now, she got trounced in the last election cycle. But she was close earlier because of these rules changes that Republicans agreed to. Republicans really are the stupid party. They don't play the game the Democrats do. The Democrats just kneecap you politically. The Democrats, if they had the chance, would do this to Republicans across the board. They would make it to Republicans couldn't win anywhere. And Bowie would be fine with that. With gerrymandering, Republicans in several otherwise competitive states may have built a nearly impenetrable wall around their legislative majorities. The restrictions on the vote, they can keep as many of their opponents from the ballot box as is feasible. There's no restrictions on the vote. This is stupid. There's no restrictions. You can vote anytime you want. Anytime you want. You just, I mean, could there be mail, mail-in restrictions? Sure. Because that is done to prevent cheating. So by having, a, you have to show who you are, right? So, I mean, but even there, uh, there was a video, as I think Walk Don't Run Productions, where he talked about the Georgia law, which was supposed to be Jim Crow 2.0. And he pointed out all the things, all the ways you could still vote. He said, how is this cheating? It's hilarious to watch that. How, how is this cheating? How is this? There's no cheating. What are you talking about here? How is this restricting anybody? Everybody can still vote. This is a stupid talking point that has no effect. And look, the majority of Americans know it. This is a stupid talking point. With fanciful doctrines like the so-called independent state legislature theory, they could have a pretext for amassing even more power to shape elections. Again, this independent state legislature, I've talked about this with Bowie. Now, this is his boogeyman, right? He, he, oh, are we going to have this? This is going to be terrible. Even if the Supreme Court rejects the theory in its strongest form. And if all of this isn't enough to tilt the playing field, Republicans can, as we see, change the rules of referendums and initiatives to limit direct policy making by the voters. One of the many self-justifying myths about the counter-majoritarian features of the American political system is that they exist to curtail or prevent tyranny of the majority. Americans today might want to remember something the framers never forgot. Much worse than the tyranny of the many is the tyranny of the few. That's a really stupid statement because, again, the entire federal structure is to prevent democracy from taking over. That's why you have the Senate, originally as designed, which will be a check on the House, which was the Democratic part of it, and the check on the executive branch, the states. It was the federal part of the system. The states had control. There were, I mean, quote after quote where they opposed democracy. They didn't want democracy. They thought democracy was ruining America. They thought the articles were too democratic. If you read Bowie, you think the articles are completely anti-democratic. For the federal system, uh, I mean... It took supermajorities, which was good. It was good. In fact, the Confederate States Constitution adopted several of those things in their model to make it very hard for the central government to do just about anything. Excellent idea. All right. So, I thought this piece was worth it. And again, these are things, as I mentioned yesterday, Republicans can do. They control the states. They can have a lot more influence on how these things work out than people realize. 
So I wanted to wrap the week up with that. I'll see you, see you next week on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.